Excellent. Great to have everyone with us. Uh, my name is Paul and I'm lead pastor here at Beck. It really is good to be with you on this day of days. Day of days. In all sorts of ways, this is a day of day. Actually, it's a weekend of weekends because the cross of Jesus, you may not be a Christian online if you're watching. I do know a number of folks kind of just journey with us and you may not call yourself a Christian, but this is right at the heart of our faith. Good Friday, Jesus dies on a cross, is buried. Easter Sunday, he rises from the dead. The one, the resurrection, is a validation of his work on the cross. The two are inseparable, they go together. If he just died and hadn't risen, we'd question whether his work did what early Christians thought it did. But the fact that he rose from the dead validates, underline, it's God's signature saying this is true. And it's an event that we should all wrestle with. Actually, we should wrestle as Christians with that. But actually, society needs to wrestle with that. You see, what happened was this. There were a handful of believers, maybe a couple of hundred believers, and they are finished. From that place where Christ has died and their hope has gone, today, 33% of the world's population would in some way own Jesus. Two billion people would own that event and own Christ in some way. This is what William Lane said about that. Were it not for the resurrection, Jesus of Nazareth might have appeared as no more than a line in Josephus, an ancient writer, Antiquities of the Jews. So there are historical accounts that validate that Jesus was a man, walked this earth, died on a cross and all sorts of other things that tie in with the gospel, not Christian writers. So there's no two ways about it. Jesus was a historical figure. The witness of the four gospels is unequivocal that following the crucifixion, Jesus' disciples were scattered, their hopes shattered by the course of events. What halted the dissolution of the messianic movement centred on Jesus was the resurrection. Without that, this movement was finished. It is the resurrection which creates the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And secular historians have to explain that because it is undoubted there was just this small group, whoever they think Jesus was, somehow that spread worldwide. Well, let me tell you, if you've got a group of people that believe in their heart of hearts, a man has risen from the dead, he was God, he's taken our sin, and that's lodged in your being and nothing can shift it, like at hope is the case for you, that will make a difference. John Young said this, I love this, a big fact, i.e. the spread of Christianity, requires a big explanation resurrection is exactly the right size. Resurrection will explain the spread of Christianity. Just before I move on, I wanted to just share something that in the worship, before I forget. When we sang that line, and this is why the resurrection is good news for you. When we sang that line in the first song, you know, Jesus, yours is the victory, I just felt kind of the Holy Spirit drop in my spirit and it's total victory. The cross, the resurrection was total victory. And the sense I had was this. There may be some of us here this morning that you are still living as if the victory was not total. There's kind of grave clothes attached to you. 
You have total victory and you can walk into that. And some of us, the encouragement to you is this. You've seen a measure of victory. Now you need to press into total victory. There are things you are dealing with that the Lord has total victory for you through the cross. And you need to press into that. The encouragement to you is, by the Spirit, in His strength, press into total victory. The resurrection is good news for those reasons. Back to the talk. Uh, Hope Together, many of you know Roy Crown. Roy headed up an organisation called Hope Together that bring the church together in word and deed, proclamation. And they did a piece of research called Talking Jesus. 10,000 people surveyed. It was a very reliable piece of research. Now, you may not be able to read that, but I'll explain it. So this is about belief in the resurrection. The first bar says 16% of people surveyed, i.e. chances are this is in the population as a whole. It was a big survey. 16% of people, get this, believe in the resurrection as recorded in the Bible. Like, they're not doubting anything. They believe that Jesus was who he said he was, rose from the dead. Another 29%, making 45% in total in some way, shape or form, believe in the resurrection. That 16% of people are not in churches. 3% at any one time of evangelicals, Bible-believing Christians, people believe the literal resurrection are in church. So what that says to us is this. There are a whole stack of people out there that somehow connect with the resurrection, believe it. They don't know what to do with it, though. So we need to help them with their response. And it's that that I want to think about this morning. What is our response? What's a worthy response to the resurrection? And we're going to look in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8 to kick off with. So this is Mark's account. We've been in the book of Mark, this series, Cruciformed Discipleship, Shaped by the Cross. And this is, I think this is the end of the chapter. Now, if you've got a physical Bible, you may see there's verses added, and I'm going to come back to them in a minute. But this is what it says, Mark 16, 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Other accounts tell us an angel did that. There was an earthquake. There was stuff kicking off at the resurrection. Earthquakes and angels. But when they looked up, they saw the stone. Sorry, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man, an angel. This is an angelic figure, dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's risen. He's risen from the dead. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And I think this is where the book of the Gospel of Mark actually finished originally in the canon of Scripture. Now, just take stock of this as an ending to a gospel. Good news. A gospel means good news. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. 
I mean, how postmodern is that? You know, if you, it's one of those movies. Okay, we watch movies. We like a movie, Ali and I, one of us particularly. I'm okay with loose ends, but one of us in particular likes movies that have a resolution to them. Don't leave me hanging. Don't leave us, anyone like that. One more resolution. We'll come back to that. That may say something about you. We'll come back to that. But how postmodern to leave the gospel like this. And what? So they've gone out there not telling anyone and they're afraid. Now, other gospels then tell us they did go back, they told, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But this is how Mark leaves it for a reason. So what responses do we see here in this gospel? Well, firstly, an almost inevitable response to these events are this. And there should, I think, if we've really taken stock of the resurrection of God on this planet, was dead in a human body, has come back to life. The God who created us, created everything. Jeremiah 29 knows your future. If we've taken stock of this, our first response is likely to be this, pandemonium. It's just all pandemonium. Like, what's going on? Erica and I chatted this week trying to... Erica was putting the life group materials together and we were just talking. So these accounts of the Gospels, if you've ever read them, it's like, so what happened? Because it says in Mark, these these women just stayed there and they're afraid. They don't go tell anyone. They've been told to go and tell people. But then in other accounts, they go back and tell the disciples and then the disciples go running. And it's not clear in what order they arrive at the tomb and all the rest of it. And then Mary somehow is back. She's gone from there and she's back here. Mary Magdalene's back here and she meets Jesus, that lovely line where Jesus says to her, Mary, he knows your name. He's not forgotten you. You're not no one. He knows your name. He says to her, Mary, she goes, Rabbi, so there's these versions. It's like, what's, what's going on? I can't follow this. It's all a bit chaotic. Well, resurrection will do that to you. It will kind of mess you up. It will stir things up. These accounts are full of shock and wonder and fear and people not knowing what's going on. Does that sound at all familiar? You don't know. Maybe that's you right now. You don't know what's going on. You've got, you've got a clue. I've got encouragement for you, by the way. I'm not going to leave you there. There's encouragement for you. Verses 5 and 6 of Mark 16. There's alarm. Verse 8, they're trembling. They're bewildered. It means a blended fear and wonderment. Have you seen that with God at work in your life? There's both fear, I'm not sure about this, and wonder. Wow. And sometimes we have to embrace both. They flee. They're afraid. They don't tell anyone. In Scripture, it seems to me often when God is at work, pandemonium breaks out. It's like we don't know what's going on. The world is turned upside down. These disciples face the soul-shaking events of the empty tomb. By the way, the word pandemonium, and there may be some of this in something for someone, comes from, uh, I'm sure you know this, I only know it because I was reading about it this week, Uh, John Milton, Paradise Lost, never read it, 1667, in John Milton, Paradise Lost, the main protagonist goes to hell and find his, finds the palace of the demons, of all the demons. It's the place of all evil. Pan means all, demonium, demons. It's the place of all demons. Now, obviously, pandemonium has come to mean something else. But you may be in a situation where 
Not only is it pandemonium, you know there's something coming against you. There's something demonic. You feel oppressed. Well, let me tell you, there's good news for you as well in the resurrection because Christ has total victory over the enemy as well. So what's happening here is this. The disciples are coming to terms with the reality of who God is and what he's done. And it's a bit chaotic in the meantime. It seems to me that's what happens to us in our chaotic situations, in our messy situations. What happens in those situations, if you'll hang on in there, is this. You come to see what God, who God is. He's not, have you noticed this? He's not God as we want him. You had enough, Carl? All right. We come to see who God is as he is, not as we want him to be. We want to put God neat and tidy in a box, understand God. And he just keeps busting these boxes open and says, no, you have to take me as I am and I'll do what I want to do. Thank you very much. Have you noticed that about God? He doesn't do what he's told. He doesn't. I've tried it. See, our struggle is this, isn't it? We don't like loose ends. But there's encouragement for us, even in this ending of Mark 16, I think. This is the last verse of that Bible, of that book. We've just read it. They're afraid, dot, dot, dot. Actually, it ends with a full stop. That's how Mark ends it. But it's like a dot, dot, dot. So what do we make of that? Well, here's what's happened. We know Jesus has risen. Earlier in Mark, he says he is risen. So we know he's risen So the reader has got to get to grips with that and will have to think through on the basis of that. Now, actually, we've got other gospel accounts as well. But what happens is this then. The gospel, the kingdom is left in the book of Mark in the hands of vulnerable men and women with fault lines who don't know what's going on and are afraid. I find that really encouraging because I'm like that. Fault lines, a bit fearful at times, not knowing what's going on, vulnerable. And I hope that encourages you because that was good enough for God. He's okay with that. Look at 2 Corinthians. Paul says, look, I've got this thorn in the flesh. I'm a weak man. What am I going to do? And he sa- God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. I hope that encourages you. God has only ever had the likes of you and I, weak men and women with fragilities, with vulnerabilities to do his work. And in the gospel of Mark, it's clear that's who these, it starts off as women. It then spread to men, as we know, they're afraid. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. But I want to look at the rest of, it's called the long ending to Mark. The long ending. I want to read this to look at other potential responses. Now, just to explain what this probably is, it's probably a well-meaning scribe who has pulled together other gospel accounts, and we'll see that, and has kind of added them to the gospel of Mark. Not saying, I don't think the writer here is saying, I'm now writing scripture. This is authoritative. But they've, they've kind of just pulled it together because 
they've probably looked at the end of Mark and thought, I don't want to leave it like that. That just doesn't make sense. I'll not add to scripture, but I just want to harmonize with the other gospel accounts. So I'm going to make it easy for people. Well, God doesn't always make things easy for us, does he? So these verses are a synopsis of other accounts. But what they do tell us is this. They're probably written the middle of the second century. So about 50 years or so after the original Gospels and the letters. And what they tell us is this. This then is how the early church thought it should respond to the Gospel. Thought should be happening. Because this writer is in amongst the church and says, this is what I've seen happening. This is what we can expect from the resurrection. So what can we expect from the resurrection? Look at verses 9 to 20 then. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. So this writer reintroduces Mary Magdalene, who's already been mentioned. So it's a sign that this is another writer. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. So that tells us that Mary did go and tell others when Marcus just said the women didn't know what to say. So again, it's this writer trying to just kind of pull things together. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. That's the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, isn't it? Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. That's uh, an account in John, where Jesus comes and stands among them and says, My peace I leave with you. He said to them, this is Matthew 28, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all nations, make disciples of all nations. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany... And then there's this... This is these, frankly, a little bit strange verses, but it tells us this is what this writer probably saw happening in the early church and thinks we're to see. Wants to put it out there. This is what we're to see. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. Well, Jesus did that. They will speak in new tongues. Well, that's to come at Pentecost. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. Okay, a little bit weird. Let's not be a, what do they call them? Snake snake handling. Let's not be a snake handling church. There are these churches around. You probably said, don't don't go bothering YouTube and all that to look. But there are churches out there, aren't there? Snake handling. At least they're in faith, although people have died picking up poisonous snakes in churches. Not good. But. Actually, there's something, this kind of got a biblical basis. Remember Paul on Malta, shipwrecked, gets bitten by a snake, nothing wrong. So there's kind of, ah, oh, right, okay, that's interesting. Uh, it will not hurt. They will place their hands on people who are ill and they will get well. Jesus did that. The early disciples did that. Carrying on. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out, preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. That's a much neater and tidier ending, isn't it? We like that one, don't we? We like that ending. It's not the ending, though. It's not the ending. I don't think it is. Okay? So what responses do we see here? Okay. Firstly, and most importantly, but I'm not going to deal with it very much this morning, just because I don't feel this is what the Lord laid on my heart to look at. Secondly, does anyone know who these, these two are? You call out, feel free to call. 
those of us in the 40s and 50s, they will probably know. Proclaimers. These are the proclaimers. So our first response is proclamation. The gospel is good news. We are to proclaim it. And would we walk 500 miles to do it? We. I would walk 500 miles. Sorry, apologies for the Scottish accent. I do apologize. 20 Scots among us. We are to proclaim, preach. It's the same word, preach, proclaim to all nations. Preach that there is a God who loves us, who's made a way back home for us, for men and women out there, young people, to come back to him. He's overcome sickness and death. And the reason you are still here is God has a role for you in your life, by your words, in your actions, to proclaim the good news of Jesus. It's, it's, once, once we're done with that, in any way, shape or form, proclaiming that, be our life or whatever, he's going to take us. Actually, I think there are people, even who aren't compass mentors, he's still using to proclaim the gospel somehow. By their life, their testimony. So, proclamation. But here's the thing I want to focus on this morning. I think in response to the gospel, we are to understand his power. We're to understand his power. Those verses in 17 onwards about signs, demons being cast out, healing, speaking in tongues, all speaks of the supernatural power of God, the finger of God touching the earth. And I want to say a couple of things that I, I don't usually do this, but I've written this down because I want, I want us to get this. I want us listen to it, take it away and think about it. See, I believe Jesus purchased on the cross access for us to the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Jesus purchased, part of his work on the cross was giving us access to the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we can have a legitimate expectation. To expect the miraculous is legitimate of seeing the miraculous signs and wonders in our lives. We can and probably should be expecting to see that because of what Jesus has done on the cross. I'm going to try and prove it in a minute. And we shouldn't reduce our theology to the level of our experience. We shouldn't reduce our theology to the level of our experience. There are branches of the church that hold to a theology, the miraculous doesn't happen. Now, some of that may be purely theological, arguing that, but sometimes it may be they're not seeing the miraculous, therefore we're going to hold to a theology that says there isn't the miraculous. There isn't the power of God in those ways. Demons cast out, speaking in tongues, gifts of the Spirit, healings. We don't see that today, and it may be that we're arguing that because we're not seeing it. And so we've reduced our theology to the level of our experience. But if Scripture teaches we should be seeing this stuff, well, we should be seeing it. And at the very least, we should press in to see it. I want to encourage those of us who pray in this church, if you're on the early morning prayer Zooms, if you pray just by yourself, any prayer meeting, whatever it is, I'm going to encourage us from this point forward, can we make it a point we are going to pray to see the miraculous among us? I'm going to argue why I think it's biblical, but let's press in to that. Just to say one thing, and hear me right on this, 
I sometimes hear people say, of course, the biggest miracle is salvation. Now, I know what we're saying there. And let me say it this way. The biggest work, the most amazing work, the work we are to pursue above all else is the salvation of men and women. I don't dispute that. I'm absolutely on board with that. Okay, it's why I do what I do, because I believe the gospel changes lives. But I sometimes hear people say that. Well, of course, the biggest miracle is salvation from people who my hunches are not seeing miracles. Because nowhere does scripture call salvation a miracle in that sense. A miracle, a sign and wonder, according to scripture, is something else. Now, we're to see those something else alongside salvation. It's additional for us. And I think, thank you, I think we've got more authority to say salvation is, of course, the biggest miracle if we are at the same time seeing what the Bible teaches miracles are. So it's both and. Hear me right. I'm not saying miracles are more important than salvation. Don't go away and say that. But I am saying we should see this in addition. The word miracle is the word dunamis. It means power. It's the confirming power of God. Let me build a biblical case. Acts 2, 22. Jesus, it says, was a man accredited by God to you, meaning affirmed, validated by Miracles, wonders and signs, the power of God in his life, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. We're to follow Jesus, aren't we? We're to be like Jesus. Well, if our faith is to be validated then, I think we can expect to see miracles, signs and wonders. And the New Testament seems to model signs and wonders as an integral part of gospel proclamation. It's almost like in the New Testament, you don't see the gospel proclaimed without the miraculous, by and large. And we should expect the same. It's there for us, is what I'm saying. Look at Hebrews 2.4. 2, we see that through Acts, don't we? Anytime Paul turns up, or Peter, there's the miraculous. There's healings, there's miracles. Shadows are cast that heal people. In Ephesus, Paul goes in, it says he does extraordinary miracles. Any miracles, fairly extraordinary for me. What's an extraordinary miracle? The writer to Hebrews here is talking about salvation. That's what he's talking about. God also testified to salvation by signs, wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The miracles testify to the the validity of the gospel. If it's the true gospel, chances are somewhere in there you're going to see the miraculous breaking out. Paul had this expectation, 1 Corinthians 2.4. He says, I didn't come and just, you know, just preach. Power broke out. And I think he's meaning the miraculous. But look at what he says in Romans 15. It's quite interesting. He's talking here about how, how he's fully proclaimed the gospel. Now, it undoubtedly means... I've dotted I's, crossed T on my theology of the cross. I've explained who Jesus was, what he's done on the cross. But he says this, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. So this is the proclamation of the gospel that the Gentiles have followed. Paul has said things, but things have happened. Well, what's happened? By the power of signs and wonders. Through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way round to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel. It seems to me what Paul is saying here is this. 
that we may, our gospel may be deficient if we haven't seen the miraculous. It's not our gospel isn't correct. I'm saying gospel proclamation, if it hasn't seen something of the power of God at work, lives changed. Provision, maybe healings, maybe the prophetic coming in. Something that people go, wow, I'm astounded. So we need to start praying for this. Okay. To close then, how do we experience this power? Firstly, we need to embrace the truth of Romans 8, 11. Paul says this, this is the power, brother, sister, if you're a Christian here this morning... You may not think much of yourself, but you have the Holy Spirit in you, the dunamis, the dynamite of God in you. God, I pray that faith would rise right now. I pray break off us limitations upon what we think you can do with us and through us. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, if resurrect, what that's saying is resurrection power is in you and I. He also, who raised Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And I want to put this, and you can and should be, we should be seeing situations transformed around us by resurrection power. Does anyone here this morning at times in their Christian faith, feel a little bit powerless. I think most of us probably do. We are. We are. What this says is this, though. Resurrection power is in you by the Holy Spirit, though. Who knows what may happen? You are dangerous. And you may look around and think some of these people are a bit dangerous. A bit. <laughs> but you are dangerous. There's dunamis in you. There's dunamis in you. There's dunamis for your work colleagues. There's dunamis to see your family situations transformed. There's dunamis to see situations, circumstances of lack provided for. There's dunamis to see relationships healed, people put right. There's the power of God in us and we'll see that and maybe there's situations even this morning we're going to pray in a minute where God wants us to come out of the tomb ourselves to walk out of the tomb to see the tomb put behind us to throw off grave clothes and step into the life God has for us well how, how else can we experience this well why don't we pray and there's a great prayer in scripture to pray it's in Acts 4 God says this, the disciples have just seen Peter and John return to them. And when they come back, they've been beaten up a bit by the Pharisees and what have you. And they come back and they've talked about the powers that be, Pilate and Herod, opposing God. I think we see around us powers, authorities that oppose God, that are anti-Christian, increasingly so. Seeing the resurrection power among us, We'll make sit up, people sit up and pay attention. If we started to see the miraculous, God moving in power here, rugby, I think, would take note. We still need to preach the gospel. They still need to hear. But the two go together. 
And so they pray, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with boldness. We need that. We need Holy Spirit boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. Are we praying? Am I praying to see God stretch out his hand and perform signs and wonders? Is that something I pray regularly? I'll be frank, it's not. But I may just start to do it now. And I think we should. I think as a church, let's be expectant. We're going to see signs and wonders. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. We want that, don't we? Don't we want to be like that? This world needs that. It needs something to get their attention, doesn't it? The church as it stands, I don't think by and large, gets the world's attention, makes them sit up and take notice. I don't think we have the authority we want. If we start to pray some of this stuff, who knows? We could be dangerous. Why don't we stand, folks? Band are going to come back up. And we're going to do two things. We're going to pray... If you're comfortable, I want us to pray verses 29 and 30. But I don't just want us to pray it for, if you like, just for later that we'll go from here and we will preach boldly or let's do that. I want us to own it now and receive by faith God's power. There are situations in this room. I know there are people in this church. Sickness has got a hold. Now, we go to doctors, we see things happen, but let's pray for healing. There are people who are captive in their mind. Let's pray that death would be transformed into life, that captives would walk free of imprisonment. There's all sorts of situations that look dead and God wants to bring resurrection power to. So if you're comfortable We're going to pray verses 29 and 30, and then we're going to invite the Spirit to come and move right now. So let's pray these verses, shall we? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Hallelujah. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders. Through the name of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. Let's invite the Spirit to come. You may face a situation yourself, or you may want to stand in the gap on behalf of someone else. You want to see the power of God hit, move. Let's just pray. You might want to pray under your breath. Feel free to pray out loud. doesn't tend to be our style, but it's fine. I'd I'd love it if it was, but that's fine. We're a little bit quieter than that, more sensible probably. That was irony, by the way. I think sometimes we have to become fools for Christ. Father God, I ask that even in this room now, by your spirit, resurrection power would be released. 